Jesus said, you have to come like a child if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. It's because this thing is so, so simple that we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't get how this would work. That, 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 that Jesus came and died and rose for us, that we could live in freedom. That we could, that, that by, by, one, by one righteous man's death and resurrection, we could become the righteousness of God. It's so simple. And all it takes is for you to believe all it takes is for you to believe. Jesus didn't say go to church every Sunday. He didn't say pray a prayer this way, you know. He didn't say if you want to get saved, pray like this. He didn't. He said, he said, if you want eternal life, you must believe in the one who the Father sent. It says in John 1 that the will of the Son is, that the will of the Father is to have everyone believe in the one that he sent. And Jesus said that I do not my own will, but the will of my Father. So if the will of the Father was to have everybody believe in the one that he sent, his will was to have everybody believe in him by believing in the Father, that he was the Son of God. Everything Jesus did went to the Father, so why isn't everything that we do going to the Father? If everything we do is coming from a place of magnifying the Father, coming from a place of giving the Father all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, when we do things and we're working, when we're cooking, when we're hanging out with our friends, when we're going to a coffee shop, when we're grocery shopping, when we're doing these things, it's unto the Father. It's unto Him. But the will of the Father is to have everyone believe in the one that He sent. So to believe in the one that He sent, you have to believe in Him. And He says, if you believe in me, you will love me, and if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. My one commandment is this, in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another the way I have loved you. And so if I have to love one another the way I have loved you, then that means that the will of the Father is for me to love you the way that the Father sees you. So when I'm walking down the street and I see people, I see the Father in the people. I see the Father in people and my heart begins to break. My heart begins to overturn with so much love, not because I have a gift, not because of that, but because I'm doing it unto the Father, doing it unto you because I see through his eyes now. It says in Matthew 6, if the eye is single, focused on Jesus, then the whole body is full of light. But if the eye is distracted, then the whole body is full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? So really what I'm trying to say is if we're focused on getting sustenance from all these other things that aren't life producing, it's producing in us darkness because there is only light and dark. That's how it always was. In Genesis 1, there was the light and there was the darkness. That was it. It's always going to be that. There wasn't an, uh, a twilight. There wasn't a twilight with God. He didn't create a middle way. He didn't create a way for you to get stuck and in, 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 in cater to your feelings. He gave us a way, he gave us a hope because our feelings and our emotions led us astray. They led us into temptation. They led us into sin. And because of sin, we became bound to death. And because of death, we could not be with God because God is life. But he came up with a plan and he gave his son so that we could be free. And all we needed to do was believe in the son so that we could receive his life. But to do that, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny your emotions. Deny your 
addictions. Deny your shame. Deny your past. Deny everything you thought you knew and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Run after me. That's what this is all about. This is a full surrender. It's not a halfway. It's not a half of my leg and the other half gets to stay with me. It's my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole soul gets surrendered to the Father. It says in Hebrews 5 that Jesus, when he was pleading about his death, he prayed to his Father and his Father heard him because of reverent submission. And then the next verse says that he learned obedience through his sufferings. If Jesus was heard by his Father because of reverent submission, how do we expect to be heard by the Father without reverent submission? The most important decision of Jesus' life, the most important one to actually give up his life for us because he didn't have to be separated from God. Jesus said to us, he said, why fear man? They can only kill you. And when I read that, I was like, well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably why. <laughs> and Jesus said, <coughs> sorry, I'm still getting better from being sick last week. <clears throat> I apologize for um, if it sounded bad. <laughs> <clears throat> I was with Scott yesterday and we were hanging out <clears throat> and I was trying to sing a certain song I couldn't do it so bad I kept apologizing to him <laughs> I was like I'm sorry I'm sorry it's really not like this all the time man we're gonna get somewhere Trust me, we'll get somewhere today. Oh, I want you guys to be normal so bad. I want you to be normal so bad. I want us to be normal Christians. That's all I am. That's all I'm ever gonna be. A normal Christian. A son. <laughs> I'm a son of God, man. I'm a son of God, like, I know it, I believe it, that's why I do this. I, I don't do this because I, I know it's the right thing to do. That's not why I do this. I do this because I'm a son of God. I don't read this because I know it's the right thing to do. I, I read it because I'm a son of God and this is how my father feels about everything. So Jesus said, deny yourself. He said, give it all up, surrender yourself. And so when Jesus is making this decision, right, and he's going to separate us from God, and, he, and he's going to be separated from God, and he tells us all, he's like, hey, only, only don't fear man because they can only kill you. I mean, that's not that big of a deal. And apparently Jesus' grid is like way out here, and ours is like right here. Like death is a big deal. And Jesus goes, hey, that's actually not really a big deal. Don't fear man because they can only do that. That's the most they can do. The most anybody can ever do to you is kill you. And, and Jesus is going, so don't worry. I mean, think about it. I mean, I'd be like red in the face or white as a ghost. I'd either be one or the two. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? And Jesus goes, I tell you who to fear. Fear the one who has authority to condemn your soul to hell after death. And I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I kind of get it. 
But I was like, God, what is hell? You know, I was praying and I was reading the scripture and I said, what is hell? What, what is the meaning of this place of hell? Why, why, why is hell there? What is it about? Why do we have to go there? Why are we condemned there? I was praying all this stuff and it was never created for us. It was created for the demons. It was created for the fallen angels. It was created for Satan. Hell wasn't created for you. It's not God's will that any of you would go there. That is a lie from the enemy. That is a twisted, deceived thing. Get rid of that. That's not for people. It was never created for people. It was created for Satan. People tell me on the streets sometimes, they're like, well, why does such a good God send people to hell? Why didn't he just not send them there? Because that, that seems pretty rough. And I'm like, listen, we were never supposed to go there. We were never supposed to be there. We were supposed to be with God. So you've got this guy, you've got Jesus, right? And he's with God all the time. And he's gonna decide right now to be separated from God in the worst way. In a way that possibly, by chance, hopefully none of us would ever be separated from him in that way. Because right now, in your chair, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you are not more than one step away from Jesus right now. Right now, none of you, none of you in this room are more than one step away from Jesus, one step away from the Father. Right now, one decision away, one turn away, one prayer away, one falling to your knees and saying, I, I just, I give up. I'm giving you my life. Nothing more than one step away from the Father right now. But there will come a time that people will be far too far away from that to make that decision to come back. And that's why you're the hope of the world, that people might possibly see in you something that would make them decide to fall and make that decision, fall on their knees, open up their heart, turn their body, turn their life around and give it to Jesus. You're the hope that would possibly convince somebody, possibly convince one. Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians 9, he says, listen, I made a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greek, outside the law to those outside the law, under the law to those under the law. I am even made weak to those that are weak. I mean, think about that. Being made weak to those that are weak? That doesn't sound too fun. I get the whole Jew to the Jew, Greek to the Greek thing. That's easy to say. It's easy to memorize. But the next part of that says I'm made weak to those that are weak. I wouldn't want to be made weak. I don't think that would be fun at all. But sometimes we're actually made weak and then we're mad at God for being weak. And we're like, God, why am I weak? And we don't notice that we're weak to possibly relate to people around us that are weak so that we can show them the hope and the glory and the life that's actually inside of us. And as soon as that's done, we'll be made strong again or we'll be made anything else again because we've been surrendered. We've been denied. We have no more legal rights. For you to have Philippians 4, peace that passes all understanding, you have to surrender your right to understand. If you want to be able to understand peace that passes understanding, you got to have the ability to surrender your right to understand that that means forever. That doesn't mean just in one situation. That doesn't mean just for one problem. That means you surrender your right to understand what's going on forever. And then you get this full peace, this full hope, this full grace. It comes inside of you and it fills you with such a passion. It fills you with such a peace. It fills you with such a zeal. It fills you with so much purpose that your eye gets focused on one and the one that produces life because nothing else can produce life other than God. Other than Jesus, nothing can produce life. The devil cannot produce life. You know, I've run into, I've run into a lot of people um, on, um, through, through, through my life, and there was this one problem, this one scenario. I remember a worship leader friend of mine, um, he, uh, he, 
he had a girlfriend and, um, and, and they didn't, you know, they, they weren't careful and um, they didn't have the right convictions and um, they ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, that he was a son of the pastor at this church. And the pastor, you know, finds out, right? And everyone finds out and they're about to get kicked out of the church. They're about to get kicked out of ministry and they're about to get um, all, all this slander. And my, and my friend calls me, tells me the problem and I get off the phone. And then um, my, uh, one of my pastor friends from out of state calls me and says, hey, what's going on? And I just told, I told him the situation. And, and, and after I told him the situation, I said, and you know what the worst part about this whole thing is? is that these two are about to get completely slandered, completely mocked for all this stuff. And they're gonna be, this baby's gonna have to grow up in a place of rejection. This baby's gonna have to grow up in a place of um, uh, abandonment and unacceptance. And the devil can't produce life. He can't give that baby to them. Only God can. This is God's gift to humanity. This baby can be God's gift and no one's gonna see that in them. And they're about to grow through this rejection and go through this stuff. And I said, I said, Jesus took that shame, but they're about to be placed right back in that shame. And, um, and I felt so bad. I felt so sorry. I said, I wish I could just be there. I wish I could just be there to say, listen, you messed up, but I'm not going to give you the shame that Jesus took for you on the cross because Jesus took that for you once and for all. Hebrews 12, he took it and it's in the cross and the joy that was inside Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. It says that and it says that that same joy has now been placed in front of us that we would run this race with patience and endurance. What is patience? Love is patient. And I said, to my, I said to my pastor friend, I said, I wish I could be there with them. I wish I could be there with them to tell somebody, don't give them this shame. They messed up, but don't give them the shame of it. The devil can't produce life. He didn't do this. He's gonna use the situation to get you separated from them. The devil wants to separate because God came and he established in Genesis 1, family. God came and established his government and the way he chose to do it was family. And he, and he said, and you'll come even closer together and bear after your own kind. That's just how God set it up. It was always supposed to be family. And so you look at Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. You look at what he was doing. He goes out, right, and he gets baptized. He goes out and gets tempted by the devil. And the first thing Jesus does when he comes back is he says, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Simon, Levi, and he calls out these family members and he starts picking out his family. He doesn't go into ministry without having a family. He doesn't just do it on his own because even though he could, that's not the model that God gave us from the beginning. Jesus showed us everything that the Father ever did and ever will be from the beginning, which was family. All God ever wanted with us was relationship and out of relationship to do ministry, not on your own and on your own bench and on your own right and on your own willpower and on your own gifting. Jesus gave us a family. So Jesus goes out and he's like, you, 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 and you, come follow me. And then they go across and Jesus is like, hey, let's go over to the land of the Gerasians in Mark 8, 22. And he's like, hey, let's go across. And they go through this storm, right? And we'll talk about that storm. The boat's getting all rocked and Jesus is like all like asleep. And he's got so much peace that he can sleep through the storm before he spoke to the storm. And, and his disciples are like all afraid. 
And the disciples are like, Jesus, don't you care that we're gonna die? Later on, he, they find out that Jesus doesn't really care about that. <laughs> He's like, don't you care that we're about to die? <laughs> we're gonna drown, it's not gonna be good. And, uh, and Jesus wakes up and, and, and the Lord showed me um, that storms are like life squeezers. Like if you were to squeeze an apple, what kind of juice would you get? If you were to squeeze an orange, what kind of juice would you get? If you were to squeeze a watermelon and you got banana juice out of it, wouldn't you be kind of scared? Shouldn't it be just as odd that when you squeeze a Christian, you get nothing but Jesus out? But the truth is that it was when a Christian is squeezed, a lot of the same stuff that's in the world, the negativity, the anger, the frustration, the anxiety, the fear, all that stuff comes out and you tell them and you give them a piece of your mind. You're gonna give them a piece of your mind because you're frustrated. You're, man, Jesus didn't pay a price for that. Jesus didn't pay a price for me to give you a piece of my mind. He paid a price for me to give you a piece of his mind. He gave, he paid the highest price for me to have the right not to give you a piece of what I think, but of how he is. I'm on the earth to manifest the Father. It says in 1 John 1, it says that for this reason was the Son of Man made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. I've been made manifest that I would show the Father in every area of my life and I would destroy the devil for living. That every time the devil touches me, he regrets it. That every time he even tries to rub me the wrong way, he regrets it. That every time he tries to divide me and somebody I love, which would be any of you, he regrets it because I'm on this planet to reveal and manifest the Father. Not to reveal and manifest my own opinions and how I feel and what I think. We've made this gospel such a feeling gospel. So many people ask me to pray for them that they would feel the love of God. And I'm like, absolutely not. I wouldn't do that to you. Because if you were to, for example, if you were to ex experience and feel the love of God in, in a room like this, and then you were to leave the church and go have lunch, and tomorrow you were to wake up and the feeling was gone, you'd felt abandoned when you never really were. So many people feel lost when they're really found because they didn't catch what Jesus said. And he said this, he said, listen, call no one on earth your father. Not that spiritual fathers are bad. You need spiritual fathers, you need people in your life. But actually Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, to the ones older than you, you give them the place of fathership. You give them the place of mothership. You give them the place of being a peer. It's actually for the son to give the place to the father. That's why the son came, and the son was the first one to ever give the name father to our father. It's the son who reveals the place of the father. It's not dominating, it's uplifting. Everything God does, everything he does is uplifting, encouraging, edifying. So the son comes and reveals the father, right? So if you're a son, you're supposed to place and say, you're my father, you're my mother. You're my brother, you're my sister. That's how it was in, 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 the, in, in how Paul told Timothy to do it. Not a father coming around saying, you're my spiritual son and dominating that. I don't think that that's good. I don't think that that's right. Not that that relationship is wrong, but I think the motive, I think the behind it is the slightly erred. 
because it was always supposed to be uplifting. It was always supposed to be encouraging. It was always supposed to be coming together in family. That's how it was always supposed to be. So the son came and manifested the father, right? So Jesus said, listen, call no one on earth your father, for you have one father. And then he said, call no one on earth your teacher, because that would be like the next best thing, having a teacher. He says, call no one on earth your teacher, for the Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things. Listen, guys, we are, we are at a loss without the Holy Spirit. We are at a loss without the Holy Spirit. It says, in, it says in John 16 that I will send my spirit to you concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The disciples, they didn't have this half of the book. They didn't have it. Look real close. They didn't have this side. They didn't have that. They didn't have Paul's letters to teach them how to do this. They didn't have the book of Acts to have an example. They had the Holy Spirit. The disciples had the Holy Spirit that empowered them to walk out the book of Acts. We get so comfortable stuck knowing and memorizing this that we forget that we need a real revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. It says that we weren't given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Love, power, and a sound mind. So without power, how are we going to be able to convince the world that truly God lives inside of us? Jesus, Jesus came with power and grace. He came with power and truth. He came, everything he did was, was, was a virtue of power. Everything he did came from a place of power because the Holy Spirit was alive inside of him. If we have this gospel but we have no power, then it's, having like, it, it's like having works without faith and faith without works. It's the same thing. It doesn't work. And listen, I'm a huge advocate of the word. I'm not saying don't read this. I'm a huge, in fact, in fact, so many of us don't get in our Bibles daily. Like, just think, when was the last time you read this, and what did you read? And how long? This, this is the word of God. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is. That's the crazy thing. That's, you got to be like a child to understand, because to all of us, it looks like a book. To all of us, it's words. To all of us, it's stories. But to the Father, this is his son. To us, this is, this is our example. This is our brother. This is our king. This is Jesus. And that's why you get in it. Because you want to get to know him, not because you want to memorize him. So we have the Holy Spirit, and you notice why the Holy Spirit's coming, right? It says that the Holy Spirit was sent for what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it says this. Jesus says, concerning sin because they don't believe in me. There is a sin that we are on the earth for, and because of the Holy Spirit in us, we are to convict the world. Notice how it says they. It's not talking about the inner circle. Jesus isn't talking about the disciples. It says concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because... Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. So we have the Holy Spirit concerning righteousness, because the Holy Spirit is alive inside of us to reveal the Father. Because Jesus was going, and he was the one revealing the Father. So now that he's leaving, he's sending the Holy Spirit alive inside of all of us, so that we would go out into the world and reveal who? The Father. 
That's why we have the Holy Spirit, to walk and stand in righteousness. What is righteousness? It's right standing with God. I read the whole Bible knowing that I'm in right standing with the Father. I read the whole Bible in a lens. I read it in a lens of love. I, I know that I'm loved. I know I'm in right standing with the Father. I know that my conscience has been cleaned. And if I keep it clean, I can discern what's good and what's not. And I don't have to do what's not good because I don't want to ruin this. When I have this and my eyes are focused on this, I don't want this because none of this is as good as this. And because I don't want this, I don't do that. And now when this comes, it's like slimes right off of me because I'm slime proof. And I don't get upset and I don't get frustrated and I don't, I don't get all, all angry. And if it comes for a second and, 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 and my eyes go there for a second, I realize how awful that is. And I go right back to this because we're still growing. But that's the price Jesus paid. He paid a price so that we could have right standing with the Father. So my eyes are focused on Jesus, not focused on you to come through me. Because if I'm focused on you to come through for me, then when you fail, I'll feel let down by you instead of be able to be hope to you and help you. But when I'm focused on Jesus, I'm never let down by Jesus. I'm never forsaken by Jesus. I'm never left. I'm never wronged. I'm never offended by Jesus. So when you do anything like that to me, I can simply give what he's giving me to you. And my eyes stay pure and my whole body is full of light. But if I'm focused in my situations, in my circumstances, in my experiences, oh, I got this grade in school, I got this degree, I'm doing this job, I'm working for this much an hour, my family's really having a hard time, my mom doesn't like me, my dad does, but this is happening, my kids are saying this, my grandparents are doing this, and we're all focused and all of our attention is in all these thousands of different things. It's not producing life in us, it's producing what? darkness in us. And so the darkness is going inside of us. Then all of a sudden a storm comes, right? And a storm comes, then all of a sudden it squeezes us and we just let out all the darkness. And we're angry and we're frustrated and we're upset because all that stuff has been going inside of us from all these different places. We're worried about how much money we're going to make. We're worried about what we're going to do for a living. We're worried about how we're going to do it. We're worried about what we're going to do when we get there. We're worried about how we're going to say it. We're worried about what we're going to look like. We're worried about what we're going to eat. And Jesus says in Matthew 6 and Luke 6, he says, don't worry about any of that. For is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, Matthew 6, 33, says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his, not your righteousness, not someone else's righteousness, not anybody else's righteousness, but seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Because my focus is here. And he says this, he says, because the Father knows you need these things. We're like, this is how our prayer life goes when we read that. Well, God, you say don't worry, but I got to pr provide for my family. I got it. The next verse says, I know you need these things. He is more than aware. Let me tell you, he knows every hair on your head. Jesus says, by worry, and I'm going to do this exercise with all of you. By worry, can any of you add a single hour to the span of your life? No. By worry, can any of you change the color of your hair from gray to black? Then Jesus says this. So he says, why worry about all these things if you can't even do this? But there is one that can. Trust in him. This whole life is about a surrender, a submission to then trust in the Father. Is this making sense? Is this helping anybody? Okay, good. 
<laughs> because, man, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. I walk down the street sometimes, and I'm literally crying. I'm literally undone all the time. I'm literally undone. I read this thing, and it comes more and more alive. I didn't know it could, but it does. I talk to people, and out of the thousands of people I've talked to on the streets, I still find new responses. I still see new lives changed. And every time I talk to somebody, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? God bless you. It's as if I've never said it before. It's new every time, every single time. It's not redundant. <laughs> it's not repetitive. It's constant. One time I was leading worship, and uh, in my mind was something that somebody had told me. And uh, one of the pastors had told me, hey, one of the people in our church, not me, <laughs> he goes, not me, but somebody in our church says that you sing this over and over and over and over. And they're like, maybe you should go. And they said, they said it in a nice way, but maybe you should go to like a new song or something. And I said, well, if you sing it over and over and over and over, it's because we're trying to emphasize that. Um, and if they're so worried about it being over and over and over and over, they're not getting in the constant of it. They're stuck in the repetitive of it. Because this thing is a constant. We can sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the earth is filled with his glory. Over and over and over. Like the four living creatures do. Every day. Every night. Every year. Every century. Every millennia. Forever. And that will be okay. But we need five songs on a Sunday morning. I'm telling you, we've made this so complicated. Jesus started with it being simple. He's like, Jesus could have made those four living creatures sing a plethora of words and stuff to glorify him and magnify him. He chose 10. <laughs> he chose 10. He said, these 10 forever. Because he didn't give us a complicated gospel because we wouldn't get it. He gave us a simple gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I pray that you don't forget this. I don't pray that you don't forget the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. And this is the simplicity. John got it. Paul got it. James got it. You got this, um, you got this guy hanging out with Jesus, right? John. And he's hanging out with Jesus. And he's, he's hanging out with Jesus' whole ministry, right? And then all of John's friends, they're, they're, they're gone now. They've, they've passed away. All of John's friends were either martyred or they've, you know, they're, they're done. John's the last living apostle that hung out with Jesus, alive. Like the last guy. Could you imagine having to wheel John up to the front row of your church and then having to preach? <laughs> and there's that guy, <laughs> the last living guy who hung out with Jesus right there. And you got to get up on the microphone and speak. I mean, I would be terrified. I'm just kinda, I always think about what that would look like. And John, in his last words to us, to the church, in his, in his dying letters, he writes to us in 2 John. He says, hey, um, dear lady, there's a lot that I want to tell you, but today I write to you nothing new but what we've known since the beginning. 
And you think this is the last guy alive. He can tell us anything, a story Jesus maybe did that we don't know about, a dream that Jesus had maybe. We don't know about any of those. You know, something that we don't know. This guy was, you know, the guy that was leaning on Jesus's chest. This is the best friend of Jesus. You know, tell us something more about Jesus because we don't have enough. And, G- and John goes, I write to you, dear lady, uh, uh, nothing new. But what we've known since the beginning, and that is hyphen Love one another. And then Paul, he's writing his, his whole life story to the Galatians in, in, uh, in chapter one. He's like, listen, I was a rock. Like, I, 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 was like, I, was, I was like gone. I was like bad. I was a bad guy. I, I killed you guys. I did this, but on my way to Damascus, this happened. The voice came. The people didn't see it, but they heard it, all this stuff. I went blind. I got healed. And then I went to um, Assyria for 12 years. And then he's like, and then I went here. And then I went to Peter for two weeks. And I went there. And then I started preaching the gospel. And he tells us this whole story of his life, right, in Galatians 1 and 2. And then in Galatians 2, he starts talking about faith and how we are made righteous by faith. He says, but only by faith, because if we were to fulfill the law, then we would have had to fulfill 613 ordinances and 10 commandments that were written 430 years after the promise was given that we would inherit eternal life by covenant, not by law. You follow me. And Jesus, and, and, and Paul's writing this about Jesus, and he says, but we become the righteousness of God by faith. And he says, for if there was any law in the whole 613 laws, in 10 commandments, if there was a single law that could have given any of us life, then Jesus Christ's death was in vain. That's what he writes. And then he says, but Jesus was made a curse so that we could be freed from the curse. And then it says that, when the time had come and the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman under the law. So all those, all of us that were under the law, because Paul makes the argument that even the Gentiles were under the law, even unknowing, because it was made known to them through the Jews. So even the law was, under all, was above all of us so, so that we would be redeemed. And then Jesus, by his death and resurrection, we would receive the adoption as sons. This whole thing was not to become a Christian, religious nutcase. And I say that with love. This was so that we could become a son and a daughter of God. You don't have to preach on a microphone to be a son and a daughter of God. You don't have to lead worship to be a son or a daughter of God. You don't have to get prophetic words to be a son or a daughter of God. But I tell you this, Paul says in Corinthians that anybody you edify, uplift, and encourage is prophecy. So you don't even need to really think about it that hard. Just say something nice. And it says this, and it says in Galatians 4, then it continues to say, and because we are sons, we are no longer orphans and slaves to sin but we are co-heirs with Christ. And then he says, but only by faith. So he continues, by faith, by faith. Eight times. I counted them. Eight times. On the ninth time in Galatians chapter five, he says something really interesting. He says, 
You gotta, get, you gotta understand the tone of, of Paul. He's like, this is my story. I was a sinner. Then I got saved. This is how I got saved. I preached the gospel. I did none of this willingly, but I did it because he called me out. But you gotta understand, you're in sin, but by faith you become the righteousness of God. By faith, by faith, by faith. He drills in them this. But then he says, but only faith expressed walking, working, living in love. And then 10 verses later, he says, but there is one commandment that fulfills all the rest. All 613 ordinances, 10 commandments, 2,000 years of bondage, one law fulfills them all, that you would love one another. Galatians 5.14 and then James says it, he says, listen guys, if you do this and you walk in wisdom and you walk in kindness to others and you love them, you're doing well. And then Jesus says it best in Matthew 22, verse 37. He goes and this um, Sadducee comes up to Jesus, this scholar, this smart guy, a lot smarter than me. That's, how I, <laughs> that's just how I noted it, smart guy comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the essence of the law? What's the fundamental commandment? He didn't say greatest commandment. I checked that. He said, what's the essence? Literally, how would you embody the whole law? How would you sum it up, great rabbi? And says, seeking to test him. Jesus looks at him and he quotes Deuteronomy the one he knows. And he says, you must love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then he adds mind. He adds the word mind. He adds the part of you that chooses to believe, that chooses to love, that chooses to do this willingly, not forced to do it, not obligated. You got to choose to do this. You have to choose to do, to get in this. This is not something that's just gonna come to you and just gonna be downloaded to you in a night. This is something you choose to get in. It's something you choose to develop in your heart. So the part of you that chooses to love God, but then he says this, but he says, but there's a second. And it's as equal with the first. And he says, and you must love one another as yourself. And I, you know how I read that? I don't read that the com, I, for a long time, and this is my own opinion, for a long time, I read that thinking that I needed to love myself to love people. And I needed to like love myself, but I read that really carefully in Greek. And the context and the connotation associated with that phrase is to love someone, others, instead of yourself. So in, as loving yourself, love someone else. The love that you would have had for yourself and that love that Jesus is talking about is love that provides for yourself and your family and your kin. So the love that causes in you to do good for your family and yourself, love others. Whew, it's huge. So put them in that place and remove yourself. And when you do that, you humble yourself and I will lift you up and I will take personal care in charge of you because you're being my hands and feet to the world and you're showing them how I'm treating you. If I go out on the world and I treat you with all the goodness of my heart and I'm as kind to you as I can be, I'm showing you how the Father is to me. 
We're on the earth to show them how the Father treats us. So when the Father treats us kindly and gives us good gifts, we turn around and give people good gifts and treat them kindly. Because we, the same way Jesus represented the Father, we now represent the Father. We now are the example to the world. The same way Jesus was in John 13 when he washed our feet, he says, I did this to be an example to you. He did it the same way. Now we are the example to the world. They're looking at us, but they don't know. And Romans 8 says that they're groaning for us to be revealed. So take the lamp cover off. We weren't supposed to walk around as basket heads. A lot of us look like basket heads all the time. And we're bumping into stuff. All the, man, we got a light and we put a basket on it Monday through Saturday. And we're bumping into stuff because we can't see where we're going. And we're bumping into things and we got a basket on our head. And Jesus says, does anybody put a basket on a lampstand? He was making it simple because he was saying, all of you guys have a basket on your head. That's really what he was saying. He says, take it off. You're the salt and the light of the world. That's who we are. It's identity. Oh, Nathan, you don't know what I go through, though. I go through constant belligerent. I go through constant, constant persecution. I go through constant offense. I have terrible employees. I have terrible bosses. I have a terrible work life. I have a terrible family. They don't believe in God. They're Muslim. Love them. Jesus said it's easy to love people that do good to you. He says, but I tell you, do love, do kindness, do good things to those that do wrong to you. When people are wrong to you and people are mean to you, it actually gives you more of an opportunity to demonstrate the real virtue of love that lives inside of you versus when people are kind to you and you just simply respond. It's we weren't called to be reactors. I wasn't called for you to punch me in the face and me react and punch you in the face. I was called to have been punched in the face and respond. I was called to be first responders, not first reactors. I don't react to what happens. I respond the same way to every situation, every time, consistently, and that is to love you. And that is to love the person that's hurting me, love the person in front of me, even if that's really, really hard. Because that shows the world the real virtue of love that lives inside of me. I am possessed. I am controlled. I am compelled by love. Paul says that we are so compelled and controlled by love that we judge this, that if one died for all, then all have died so that all who live might live for the one who died for all. So if you're living for Jesus, you're not living for you. So stop living for you. We live this life living for ourselves, but believing in Jesus. That's madness. It's twisted. It's, it's, it, it's, it's grown up with us over time, over centuries and centuries. It's grown up and it's become this emotionally centered gospel instead of a faith-based gospel where we remove our emotions, but then all of a sudden God's emotions overwhelm ours and we become full of compassion and full of grace and, and full of kindness for people that supernaturally passes our ability to even have a capacity to do that. I'm telling you, there's been times that I've had to love people and I should not have been able to. Are you getting anything from this? Is this encouraging anybody? I don't know how much time we have. Do we have time still? We got some time. I want to pray for, I want to pray for people today. 
But man, I, I was kicked out of my house. My grandparents then fired me from their company. Then they repossessed my vehicle. All my friends left me. I was kicked out of my parents' church. All my friends left. I was alone, homeless, jobless, friendless, completely segregated from everything in a period of a month, just alone. And in that place of loneliness, there was a few people that reached out to me and they said, yeah, we'll we'll be with you. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be this. And I said, no, it's not. It's not okay to be angry. It's not okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to give them a piece of my mind. No, it's not. They're saying, it's okay, Nathan. It's just the process of it. You got to go through the process. And I'm like, no, it's not. Jesus paid way too high of a price for me to go through a process. He went through the process. I need to love them. I need to let the pain go and love them. So I went to the father and Jesus said, call no one on earth your father. Call no one on earth your teacher. And I knew this. It was in my mind. It was like resounding. It was the only thing I heard. I didn't know the Bible well. I didn't know it. Only thing I heard was don't call anyone on earth your father. Don't call anyone on earth your teacher. For the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. It's playing in my mind. And it went to my closet every day of a house I did not even live in. And I went there and I said, God, take the pain away. But I'm gonna love them. And every day he was silent, said nothing. And I went out every day trying to find a job, trying to make money, living by faith. And the Lord would just provide for me. People like you would just meet me in the street and literally say, here's $20. Do you need, do you need food today? Here's, here's food. And I got provided for for like five months. House to house, place to place. One day the Lord said, go get a car. I looked at him and I said, with what money? And he's like, after you lead worship, go get a car. It was on a Saturday afternoon. I went to go lead worship with my friends, my, my two friends. They, they were there. We went and led worship that day. And it was a really small group, about 12 people. And they all came up to me and handed me checks. Check after check after check after check. I looked at the checks. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he said, go get a car today. I was like, sorry, sorry, sorry for doubting you. I go deposit it, I get a car. Didn't have enough money for the car plus insurance. The insurance company said, don't worry about it. We'll give you insurance. I don't know how that happened. And every day I went to this room and I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, you gotta tell me, you gotta teach me because no one on this earth is gonna be able to give me the strength to love them the way I need to because I'm on the earth to manifest the Father and this is just a season I'm going through to manifest you, but I feel awful. But I know my feelings are not good leaders. They're good supporters when they're for you, but, lead, but emotions are never good leaders. So I said, my emotions are over here, but you're over there and I don't know how to get from there to here. I'm in between. God, take the pain away. I know that that's the only thing separating me from you. And then one day after about a month of praying this, every day, every day, every day, just going to him, you know what he said to me? He said, one day, he said, Nathan, I'll take the pain from you. And as he came, it's just a peace hit my heart. He said, I'll take the pain from you. But he said, but if you accept their rejection, you reject my acceptance. And all of a sudden, all the pain broke in one moment because I realized that I chose my acceptance. It was either gonna be in people or in the Father. But if my Father gave me acceptance, then how can you take from me what you never gave me? 
So now that I've become accepted, no one in this room can reject me. So instead, I can accept you. And I don't need your acceptance of me for me to accept you in the Father. Because I've been accepted in the beloved. And now that I'm accepted in the beloved, no rejection on this earth can separate me from his heart. And he showed me as I, was, as I was crying at that point, and he said, I took you from all these places and people that your trust was in because your trust was through them in me. And I took you and I took you to myself. And he said, the distance from there to my heart, even though you were getting closer to my heart, you felt the most lonely because you did not know the one who was taking you to himself. And when I realized the one who was taking me, which was the father, I realized how close I was and I've never left. And I've been pressing more and more into his heart. Paul says, I haven't figured it out yet, but I press on. He says, I've got more credit than all of you to boast in my theology, in my wisdom, in everything that I come from, I am better than you. That's what Paul's saying. But he says, but all things I count as a loss. He says, I went to school. Okay, listen, listen to this really closely. I went to school to become a Pharisee, but I reject the degree. I reject the education. I came from this place and this is my heritage, but I reject where I've come from because now I know that by belief and faith in love, I am with the Father and my education comes from the Holy Spirit, and where I come from now is heaven, not where I came from on the earth. And he says, all I count as a loss for just the sake of the knowledge of Jesus is more than sufficient. And then Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was able to write to us more than half of the New Testament without having a New Testament to read because he was full of the Holy Spirit concerning sin because they don't believe there's a sin that is greater than all other sin because that's the what the holy spirit convicts it's the it's the lack of belief in jesus i'm not saying that that sin is the only sin that condemns you to hell i'm saying that that's the sin that the holy spirit comes to convict you of because if you don't have that conviction then none of the other sin will be convicting Concerning righteousness, because now I represent the righteousness of God on the earth. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this earth has been judged. When the enemy comes in to take stuff from you, he's trying to reclaim territory that you've been given. He has no right to take from you. He has no right to come and take from you. But when you go through stuff, we weren't called to be Christians to not go through stuff. We were called to be Christians that go through stuff and come out more refined. We were called to be people that go through fire and come out more like diamonds. We were called to be people that go through some pretty intense situations and come out with more joy. The reason why I brought up the story in Matthew 8 was because of this. He went to the land of the Gerasenes, and I'm going to wrap up really, really tightly, so we're going to do our best here. Um, he went to the land of the Gerasenes, and he steps foot on the land. It says that the moment he stepped foot on the land, that a demon-possessed man came up to him and met him. And the man was possessed with a legion, and the legion of demons said, Oh, son of God, have you come to destroy us? Because it's not your time yet. But you know what I think the demons saw? The demons didn't just see Jesus because Jesus had 30 years on the earth, but demons didn't act that way around him that we know of, that we know of. So follow me on this thought. This is just a thought. The demons didn't act that way for his 30 years, but all of a sudden he steps out off of a boat 
and now the demons are acting like that? It's because he had just rallied together his entire disciples. And so coming off that boat wasn't just Jesus. It was his family. Think about this. The demons who knew Jesus, Adam, and Eve from before in the garden. The same ones saw for the first time since the fall of man, the family of God walking the earth. Because the last time the family of God walked the earth was in Genesis. But when sin came, we no longer walked with God in family. And so the law was given to tutor us to receive Jesus by faith. Says that in Philippians. So we were given a tutor. But now Jesus has come. And we no longer need a tutor because faith has come. And he rallied together his family. And now stepping on the land of the Gerasians for the first time, since the fall of man is the family of God walking the earth. And the demon said, oh my gosh, it's Jesus Christ, the son of the most high God with his family. I don't think they just saw one man full of light. Okay, Jesus full of light. I don't think they just saw him full of light. I think they saw six and six and however many full of light coming at them to a place of territory that they have had for years and years and years and years. So when you understand the value and the gravity of this reality that you walk as the family of God on the earth, that you show the righteousness of God everywhere you go, when you're walking with your family, the demons start freaking out because they're not afraid of just you. They're afraid of a family. They're afraid of people coming together and being one with the father and family. So in that storm, I want to talk about what happened. The disciples were afraid because they were still orphans because Jesus had not yet come and brought adoption. So because of the lack of adoption, they were still orphans, but they believed in Jesus. You can walk your whole life out right now. You can be sitting in your chair having lived your whole life out in a place of orphanhood in your mind because you don't know the gravity of the adoption of God as your father. And that's what Jesus came to bring us, not a belief in him, but an adoption of the father. That's why he came. So you have these orphans on a boat, but you have one son on a boat. And it says in James 1, count all trials and all temptations as joy for the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be whole and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask the Lord and he shall give to you freely. But let's look at this. Count it as joy. What's our joy? Luke 10, 21, Jesus says, don't rejoice in the authority I've given you because they were able to heal the sick and cast out demons before Jesus went to the cross. He said, Says, don't rejoice in the authority. Rejoice that your name has been written in the book of life. That's adoption. So if my joy is in adoption, he says, count all trials and temptations as joy for the testing of your faith produces patience. Why? When my faith is tested, it's rooted in love, right? It has to be. Galatians 5 has to be rooted in love. So if my faith is tested, it produces patience. Why? Because patience is the first attribute given to what? Love. So if love is patient, when my faith is tested, my patience is produced. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be whole and complete, lacking nothing. So if my patience becomes developed and I'm developed in this love, producing my faith that gets tested because the faith is rooted in my love, it produces greater love in me so that when I'm walking out, I'm walking out completely whole and complete, lacking nothing. But if I need wisdom, 
I just need to ask from a place of love, in faith, sincere faith. So why did Jesus go through that storm? Because when the storm came to Jesus and the storm came to the disciples, it pulled out of the disciples all the negative stuff, but it pulled out of the sun. It pulled out of two people. One believed in God. One believed he was the son of God. Out of the person that just believed in God, it pulled out darkness. Out of, the, out of the son of God who knew he was a son, it pulled out peace. Because when you go through trials and you know who you are, you can count it as joy because the trial gets to reveal your identity in the Father. So when I go through stuff, I count it as joy and I smile at it because I know that that's the pattern of my father. Because when I go through stuff, but I know who I am, I count it as joy because everybody's about to know who lives inside of me. I'm about to go through something, I'm excited because everybody's about to see who reigns inside of my heart. Everybody's about to see who's alive and well inside of me because I'm about to go through something really intense. I'm about to go through something really, 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 really heavy, really hot, and I'm about to walk through this fire, but because I'm already burning, how can I burn more? I'm already on fire, going through a fire, so nothing's gonna happen. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm already on fire, so I'm going to come out more refined, more hot, more on fire, more full of zeal. Because when I go through stuff, I know that that shows the world my identity. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter of God. This whole thing, and I'm going to close with this, this whole thing was about becoming a son of God. This whole thing was about becoming a child of God. We go out on the streets, and man, I've got testimonies to share with you. So many stories. I wish we had time. So many. But it all comes from a place of knowing this. If you get this, some of you guys have notes for a lifetime. Conferences and events got notes. This isn't something taught. This is something caught. If you catch this, if you believe in this, if you dumb your mind down to a child and you believe this and you go and run with it, I'm not saying sit down in your chair today and say, that was a good message. I laughed a little. I really was confused a lot. I chuckled at silly jokes. And you just walk out of this place and you don't walk out the same. Then this is gonna mean nothing. But everywhere we go, we go for one reason. Our job on the earth, my job, is to inspire as many people to burn for Jesus as possible. And even if I inspire only one, then that's enough because I know what one can do. I've seen what one can do. And because I've seen it, I believe it. And now I'm sharing it with you and faith comes by hearing. And you receive all of this by faith. But if your faith isn't rooted in love, it's just gonna hit your heart and bounce right back off. But if your faith this morning, if it hasn't been, becomes rooted in love right now, even as I'm speaking, and you receive this, you're gonna go out these doors, you're gonna go in your car, and you're not gonna see people the same. You're gonna be compelled deeper than inside of you, not obligated, not responsible, but motivated to reach people. Because Matthew 25 says, the sheeps and the goats will come to me and I'll divide them 
and I'll say to the goats, you didn't come to me in sin. I mean, you didn't come to me in prison. You didn't come to me when I was hungry. You didn't come to me when I was naked. And he says, and I'll say to the sheep, you came to me in prison. You fed me when I was hungry and you clothed me when I was naked. And the goats go, when did we not do that? And the sheeps go, when did we? And Jesus says this, and this is, this is the pinnacle of this whole thing. If you can grasp this, Jesus says this, all the people that you sheeps came to in prison that were hungry, that were naked, that were thirsty, that were lonely, and you helped, I take that so personally that it's as if you did it unto me myself. Jesus takes adding value to people so personally that it's as if you did it unto him. And he says to the goats, you didn't because you didn't love them. And because you didn't love them, but you believed in me, I have to separate you from the sheeps. So today, don't just be somebody that believes in Jesus, man. Listen, Satan believes in Jesus. It's not that hard. He's the king of kings. He created everything. To see and believe that he's king, that's one thing. But to allow him to be king of your life and surrender your will and submit yourself and deny yourself and stop worrying about all the stuff you worry about, that's a whole other thing. And that right there, that's adoption. When you start to live as a son and as a daughter of God, and that will produce in you fruit that will be so amazing your whole city can be changed. We're leaving tomorrow. But this doesn't leave with us. This has been here since the beginning. It's nothing new. I'm not giving to you anything new of revelation. Listen, guys, I read it. It's all. It's all that happened. I read it. I'm not, I'm not anything special. Don't think that I'm anything special. I'm not, I'm not some awesome evangelist. I just talk to a lot of people because I really believe this really a lot. And because I do, I talk to a lot of people. I just read this. It's in here. It's Jesus. It's who he's always been. It's who he always will be. Loving the person next to him instead of himself. He took our place. He said, the love that's like loving the Father is loving them as yourself. Jesus had a place of righteousness, right standing with the Father. And instead of loving this, he removed himself and put us there. That was what he did. And that is what we are called to do. To stand in righteousness with God and give it to people. Give the Father to people. Say God bless you to people. Say God loves you to people. Walk past them. Look at them in the eye. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that God loves them. You don't have to pray for them. We weren't called to pray for everybody. We were called to love everybody. And if it turns into praying for them, then pray for them. If it turns into listening to them, then listen to them. If it turns into hugging them, then hug them. If it turns into helping them with their groceries, help them with their groceries. If it turns into swiping your card before the person in front of you at Morrison's at Aldi, swipe your card. If you have means, then give it. We were called to be radical givers, radical lovers, radical people with our lives laid down. Everything I have, I give. 
And this is all I have. This is all I have. But this is more than enough. This adoption with the Father is all you need.